0: A marriage has never been better than this And we got three kids, that's who I do it for I'm called to be a leader I'ma lead the way, girls, I'm a firm believer We can do anything we want Look, I said it, then I meant it I probably already did it Consider it done Consider it done If you need some inspiration, you should play this Championship Leadership Podcast Hey, baby hey
1: what's up everybody welcome back championship leadership podcast we got mike milner here from just outside of philadelphia what's up mike thanks for being here
2: yeah thanks so much for having me yeah
1: absolutely uh so i'd like to ask this first question to all of my guests before we really kind of hop into who you are and what you're up to and all that um the name of the podcast is championship leadership so what comes to mind for you or what does championship leadership mean to you when you hear that
2: yeah i love the name um i was i was able to uh listen to a few of your episodes and oh, cool. you know, first the leadership part of it, I think it's a concept for me as, as a business owner and leader, it, it's something that I've had to grow into that was not inherent in my personality. So I have been thinking a lot about leadership lately. Yeah. Uh, so when I think about championship leadership, I'm thinking for me, I, I grew up an athlete. So what immediately comes to mind is like leading championship teams. And yeah, you know, coaches and star players and, and who is like the glue that held it all together. Uh, and, and what I'm trying to do in leading my team and growing my business, uh, I think that that kind of is the first place that my mind goes is what does it take to build a championship culture, to lead a championship caliber team? Uh, and, you know, first place that I go to is, is immediately sports, um, just because that's yeah. kind of what I grew up with.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, same way for me. Um, and I love that, man. That's that's awesome. What's uh? Well, why don't you tell us a little bit about a little bit more about your background and kind of the path that you've been on, and how that gets you to what you're up to today and what it is that you're doing?
2: Yeah, for sure. So as I mentioned, I, I grew up playing sports my whole life. Um, was was an athlete when I was younger and uh, played everything basketball, baseball, soccer, tennis, and I felt like I was the fortunate one in my family because I I was raised in an environment where there was a lot of dietary issues we'll say uh, body body <laughs> issues and uh just um you know as an example my my oldest sister uh, almost lost her life to anorexia uh, i remember my my mom always being on a diet and uh, my other sister had some issues with with her body image and and things like that which is very prevalent in my household And I always considered myself the lucky one because I was always active and playing sports. And I was like, you know, I don't have to worry about this. I can eat whatever I want. I've got the young, fast metabolism. And that all came to a screeching halt right after college. Uh, So I I picked up some, some typical college kid eating and drinking habits that did not serve me, especially when organized sports ended. I found myself in a body that I didn't recognize going from an athlete to significantly overweight in what felt like overnight. And a lot of my identity was very much tied up into this, you know, athlete world, because that was how I made friends. That was how I connected with people. That was the the language that I knew. And so to me, it was like, well, I can't, I can't go back home and see friends that I haven't seen in a while because they're going to say, what the hell happened to you? How'd you let yourself yeah. go? How did, you know, is this really you? And I was afraid to get back on a basketball court, uh, I didn't know if I could still play being 80 pounds heavier than I was the last time I stepped on a court. And so it led me down the path of, of falling into that trap that I witnessed everybody in my family falling into. And the very thing that I thought I was lucky to avoid, I became uh, susceptible to it and and walked right into that traditional yo-yo dieting lifestyle. I was trying to eat as little as possible. I was trying to do as much cardio as possible. I just was on a mission to lose weight as fast as possible. And what happened was I would lose weight. I would gain it back. I would start the process over again. And it happened. It was, it was years of of frustration um, developed a poor relationship with food, obsessive um, you know, feelings and thoughts around food. I was very obsessed with my body and exercise, and it was a very unhealthy relationship that developed and uh, kind of hitting that, that rock bottom place of, you know i i know there's a better way this can't be my reality uh, i became obsessed with learning everything i could about human metabolism and how our bodies actually work and what we need to fuel appropriately mm-hmm. and figured things out for myself found strength training uh, understood nutrition on a on a deeper level and then uh, you know completely transformed my relationship with with myself with exercise with Uh, with food and wanted to pay it forward. As you know, oftentimes we go through our own journey and we're like, well, I want to help people avoid all of the dumb shit that I did. So I became a trainer, found that my passion was more on the nutrition side. Uh, So I started helping people uh, with their own nutrition. And then uh, through kind of a random turn of events, I ended up in a position where it was kind of a sink or swim moment. I was either going to Work for another company, find another job as a nutrition coach, or start my own business. And I started my own business, which was a little over four years ago. And uh, things have have grown considerably year over year, which I'm I'm super grateful for. But uh, that was that was kind of the the journey that that took us to to present day.
1: Love it. So, what's the name of your company?
2: It's called Peak Optimization Performance. Um, I call it POP for short. Uh, I was actually named it after my grandfather, who was a big influence on my life. And, uh, he unfortunately passed away a month before I started my business. And so I wanted the acronym to, uh, we called him pop up. So I wanted the acronym to be in his honor.
1: I like that. Yeah. That's, that's great. What's, um, and then you got a podcast too, right?
2: Yeah. The podcast is called mind over macros and, uh, anybody who has been in the nutrition space for some time knows, you know, what it, what it means to track macros and, uh, you know, it's something that, I have a lot of experience with, we've helped our clients with, but it's, it's, I called it mind over macros just because a lot of times what I learned very early on in the process was the, the physical stuff that we need to do, the physical part of the equation when it comes to transforming your body or your relationship with food, or, you know, if you want to get stronger, if you want to get leaner, uh, whatever that may be, the physical side is, is pretty simple. And it's the psychological side that most people miss and ignore. And they try to skip that for, you know, it's like, I'm just going to force myself to do this physical work, which some people can get away with. But most of us need to, to tackle the mindset side of things first and the psychological side of things first. So mind over macros is like, let's understand the order of importance here.
1: Is it, is it as simple as... Um... Is it possible to, let's say you're hitting all your macros, right? The way that you're supposed to, uh, as close to a hundred percent as you can is, is, but yet you still haven't convinced yourself that maybe you're worthy to get some of those results is like, whether you had that mindset or not, it, and you were like, just completely following your macros, would you continue to see the results or is there something about the power of the mind with the body that would would still potentially hold you back from really getting some great results. Does that make sense as a question? Yeah,
2: Yeah, it makes perfect sense. I mean, my belief is that we can't separate the two can't separate mind and body. Uh, Not only do I feel like if you have that self limiting belief, or there's this underpinning psychologically that you're not worthy, or, you know, we all have this inherent, like I am statement about ourselves. that's very deep rooted. And most of us don't ever take the time to assess what that actually is, but we have this, this belief system and it's, I am maybe not worthy, not lovable, not good enough, not deserving. Uh, whatever that I am statement is, it can absolutely hold you back. Even if you're controlling everything that you can from a nutrition standpoint, like, Uh Uh, I I think we often see it manifest in self-sabotage, like things were going so well. And then I just took a hard left and I'm like, you know, why did I do do that? that? I don't don't understand. But it's because you're, you have this inherent belief about yourself that you don't deserve the results or you don't deserve, or, or you've just assumed that you're destined for failure. I can't do this. And that's where the, the psychological side of things has to be in place first in order for the physical results to last.
1: Yeah. Got it appreciate that yeah i you know i think i've probably experienced that myself and i coach clients as well don't necessarily um niche down to the nutrition side of things but but um but yeah i mean you see it all the time with i think you're right that those self-limiting beliefs and it's 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 a real thing and it's it's a major contributor to to keeping people from what they say that they really, truly want in life, right?
2: Yeah, and, and we have, there's, there's studies that show just the power of the mind in terms of how it impacts your, your nutrition. There's one study that was done in, uh, at Stanford and they had protein shakes and the protein shakes were the exact same calorie total. Yeah. but They, they labeled one like indulgent, decadent, high calorie protein shake and they okay. labeled the other one like a slim, lean, low calorie protein shake, exact same calorie content. Yeah. And the the groups, and they were actually monitoring hormone levels. So the groups that drank the indulgent, high calorie protein shake, their hormone levels changed based off of the perception of how many calories were in that. Yeah. Shake. wow. So like they saw that their, their hunger hormones, their ghrelin levels, which is the hormone that uh, sends hunger signals to the body was getting lower. So they were more full and the group that was drinking the low calorie shake, there were, there was no change. They were still, they were getting hungry, hungrier, quicker than the group. Same exact calorie total. The same only same. difference is yeah. the perception of what we're doing. So, um, and there's, there's a ton of studies that show, uh, you know, placebo effect, nocebo effect, just, you know, mm-hmm. your, your mind controls a lot. So yeah, uh, to try to separate mind and body. I just don't think we can do it. Yeah, absolutely. Right.
1: Well, who are some of the, Championship leaders, uh, coaches, mentors, people that have really made an impact on you and more so like, you know, what's, what are really some of the characteristics that have stood out for you on, on uh, those individuals as leaders and maybe that you've taken to help kind of mold who you are as a leader?
2: Yeah, I've been really grateful to have a lot of leaders in my life that I've been able to learn from, uh, some of them on like a more personal level. I mentioned my grandfather. Uh, my mm-hmm. grandfather was huge influence on me. Um, was somebody who was very successful and mm-hmm. and had all of the you know typical traditional metrics of success that people would measure. But the thing that always stood out to me with him was he made every single person that he interacted with feel like the most important person in the world. So it didn't matter where he was or how busy he was or how much travel he was doing or speaking at you know huge events or whatever awards or accolades he was winning. If it was somebody that he, you know, met for the first time, they would walk away thinking like, wow, I I really meant something to him. And he never missed any of our sporting events. He never missed a a family gathering. He was always present while he was still traveling the world and doing everything that he was doing. Um, So that was, that always stood out to me where it was like, you can be successful, you can be a great leader, but above all else, like hold true to your values. And he valued relationships and family and, you know, things like that. Yeah. So, um, And then I had some, some more like professional mentors um, in the, in the fitness space, the early on, uh, there's a guy by the name of Christian Thibodeau, who's a writer for T Nation, who I, um, he took two hours, like randomly, this is like a huge moment for me because I was a new trainer in the space, just trying to find my way. And I had been reading his stuff and following his stuff for a while and just reached out to him and he was like, Hey, do you have, do you have a minute to get on a Skype chat with me? And, um, and we ended up talking for two hours and it was like such a, a pivotal moment for me that gave me confidence to be yeah. like, okay, I, I can, you know, I, I really know what I'm doing. I know what I want to do. I know what I'm passionate about and I know, you know, kind of the path that I need to take. So, um, you know, it's little things like that, that I've, I've picked up on. And then, you know, looking at th- there's, it's funny because I recently read a story. As I mentioned, I'm I'm trying to uh, dive more into this concept of leadership. Yeah. Um, there's a guy by the name of Bill Ruckelshaus, and uh, yeah. it's a story about Tacoma, Washington in the '80s, uh, where he was the head of the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency, and he was in this this bind where the this this plant in in Tacoma was creating all of this. Pollution and emissions. They were worried about um, cancer and the health of, of the people that work there, but it was like a huge integral part of, of the economy in Tacoma. And the EPA was like, We don't know what we should do. Do we, do we keep the plant open and risk giving all these people cancer, or do we shut down the plant and risk kind of decimating the economy and putting all these people out of work? Yeah. And so they call in Bill Ruckel's house. They're like, Hey, you're in charge here. You got to make the call. And so he had this decision to make. And, and it's funny because if you look at like newspaper headlines, you can, you can Google from, from Tacoma, Washington at this yeah. time, the, the headsla- headlines are like, you know, work or cancer, like <laughs> that's basically your choice. And so, the other. yeah. <laughs> and uh, so he says, you know what, I, I have to get the people involved. We can't make this decision without their input. And and the EPA is like, that's, that's a terrible idea. Um, So he, he basically goes, he's like, I, I have to involve the people that this is going to influence. So <laughs> Uh, he, he mentions the predicament that they're in and all the people are like up in arms. They're like, why, why are you asking us? You're in charge. This is your job. Make the decision. And he's in a position where 50% of the people are going to be upset and 50% are going to be happy because there's, there's a divide. And yeah, people are like, you know, screw it. I'll take the, I need this to pay, you know, put food on the table to support my family and it's okay. I'm willing to risk it. And then The other half of the people are like, absolutely not. They maybe had, you know, cancer in the family or they had, you know, some reason it was very serious for them. like, we have to close this plant. And so he goes back to the EPA and they're like, you know, we told you this is a bad idea. You just have to make a call and accept that some people are going to be upset. And he's like, no, I have to, you know, I have to include them in this decision. And they said, uh, they're not smart enough to be, to be included. And he said, well, if that's the case, if the people really aren't smart enough to be involved in this decision, then we have two choices. We can strip away all of their power or we can educate them. And he's like, I'm going to choose to educate. So he started holding weekly meetings to talk about uh, what, was, what they were dealing with, to educate. And again, the people complained, oh, you're asking us to take time out of our busy days to show up to these meetings and you don't want to make a decision. But he just kept doing it. He just kept showing up. Open forums, let people come in from the community. And all of a sudden, these ideas started coming up from the communication, from the education, from, you know, know, they started asking questions that were helpful for the EPA. Like, is there any other disease risks? Is there anything else that we should be considering? And then other business owners started stepping in and like, well, if you're going to be laying people off, we need employees. So it actually ended up being... A help to the economy because yeah. all of these other businesses moved to Tacoma to be able to take advantage of the employees that were about to be laid off. So they had a transition plan rather than just making the decision, which is oftentimes what most leaders think they have to do is just half the people are going to hate me. Half the people are going to love right. me. And there's usually the answer is in the middle. Yeah. And what I love about the story is that it shows that true leadership is not just telling people what to do. It's a collaborative effort and it's saying that if you want to be uh, like, I, I want to make you a part of the solution. So when you think about like championship teams, you have, you know, star player, role player, but a great coach and a great leader is going to make everybody feel like they're an equal part of the solution. And it's not just here, here's the play, go run it. But here's right. why we're doing this. And what's your feedback? What do you, what role do you feel comfortable in? Um, and that's really what I think of. Uh, and I think that, that that story is is one that anyone can, can look up and uh, a lot, he caught a lot of heat during that time. Yeah. And then it wasn't until after the fact that people were like, oh, he was a great leader, right? Yeah, like right? now they're going yeah, through totally. it, they're all critical. Which is usually
1: how it goes, right? Yeah,
2: how it goes, but he's like, you know what? We have to educate these people and make them a part of the decision. So because this is their livelihood um, and that's, that's something that always sticks out to me when I think of like what true leadership should, should look like.
1: what's his name again? Uh,
2: Bill Ruckles House. Yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah. I'll have to check that out. That's a powerful story. Yeah, and it sounds like uh, you've, you've had some, you know, from your pop pop to you, to uh, the guy from T nation, just, I think it's almost, you know, it is weird. Cause actually just last week I asked that question to this CEO of a company and uh, he was like, he's like, no one, right. Like he didn't have anybody that's really impacted him. And I'm like, and I've had a handful of people like that that have answered that way. But I don't know, I would argue that that's very rare. um, And that in order to get to a certain place in life, I mean, you almost always is going to be someone there that's helped kind of propel you there, invested the time, like that guy just saying, hey, let's hop on a call. Like, that's probably the last thing you expected him to say. And then to give you two hours of his time. um, That's leadership to me is just powerful people just willing to give of their time and, and help people out that they don't even know. Right. So, uh, yeah, I love hearing those stories. What's, uh, what is it for you? It sounds like you have, you know, a lot of purpose and in, in a, in a big kind of reason why, what you do, uh, for a living, you know, from your family to your personal experience. Um, but what's, what's the vision? Uh, moving forward the impact you want to make maybe even the like next five, 10 years and in, in what you're doing and helping people. Uh, I think championship leadership is all about a vision that oftentimes many others can't see and probably think, you know, you're crazy for foreseeing yourself, right? So what is that for you?
2: Yeah. So I would say that the easy answer is I want to impact a million lives through what we do in, in our coaching program. Um we've been able to transform thousands at this point, but I would like to get that into the seven figures of mm-hmm. how many how many lives we truly influence and it it goes much further than just fitness and nutrition. Uh, one of the things that I think is is so powerful that they're just they're just vehicles, they're just conduits to everything else that you want to accomplish. We work with a lot of busy professionals, executives, you know, people who are juggling, family, career, you know, so many different things and the physical, part of it is oftentimes the one thing that's holding them back. Uh, So we get stories all the time from clients who, when they start to, you know, really transform, it's they're more confident in, in showing up as, as an exec or showing up uh, asking for more money or, you know, improving their relationship and improving their family dynamic and things like that. Um, And so that's, that's part of it. The other part of, of what we're trying to accomplish is to really change the landscape in the industry. I think that, um, Man, the diet industry is is brutal. It's a it's a behemoth of yeah. a multi billion dollar industry that is very smart, uh, which oftentimes comes at the expense of of people um, and and more harm than good in the way that diets are marketed. Uh, it's it's a very vulnerable and emotional place to be when you're in a position of not feeling comfortable in your own skin, and I know that feeling very well because I lived it for for over a decade and. I, uh, so I'm, I'm very sensitive to the fact that when you, when you see the way that things are, are pushed and marketed, it's, it's preying on people's insecurities and it's giving them a shortcut that's only going to make the process longer. And that's, you know, I, I think that the true disservice that we do in this industry is that most diets are designed in a way that actually makes the process longer and more arduous and more frustrating and more mentally challenging because it's, you know, playing on that instant gratification, where if I say, you know, we're going to spend years rebuilding, rewiring your brain, we're going to spend years establishing healthy habits and changing certain behaviors. And you're going to live the lifestyle that you want at the end of this year long process. Or you get an ad from, you know, some company that's like, Hey, you could lose 20 pounds in six weeks. Like which one sounds more appealing? Like I'm going to take the 20 pounds in six weeks, even though that's actually going to make the road much longer and more painful in the end. So um, I I do educate a lot of other coaches who want to understand our philosophy, which is very psychology based. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's not so much about calories in versus calories out. It's more about the human mind and how it works. And so we have a platform of, of educating other coaches so that we can change the landscape of, how we operate and how we truly coach and help individuals. So there's the client side of things that, that I want to continue to influence. And then there's also the coaching side of things that I hope to be a leader uh, in, in our methodology because it is so successful. Love it. Yeah, that's great. When did, uh,
1: have you always kind of been taking those two paths, or is is the coaching piece uh, something that you've added later on?
2: Yeah, it was, it started out where I just, you know, wanted to help people and uh, right. help them avoid the mistakes that I made. I think when you were talking about, you know, different mentors and leaders, that's one of the things that I always look at is anytime I invest in a mentor, I look at it as I'm, I'm buying their mistakes uh, so that I don't make them, right? Like you're yeah. saving time by buying their mistakes. And so I always looked at it as people investing in me, they're they're investing in the 10 years that I spent in this you know, chronic dieting trap and figured out how to get out of it. Right. And the coaching side of things just kind of happened by request. It was yeah, a lot of coaches that were in my network, peers, colleagues, like, you know, you seem to get a lot of results for a lot of people. Like, what are you doing? And then when I would explain to them, I'm coming at it from a perspective that they've never heard before because yeah. they're so, like most of the curriculum out there for nutrition coaches is very it's very uh, black and white. It's very physically based in like, know how the body moves, know like energy in versus energy out. And, and that stuff is important. But yeah. there, like I mentioned, there's that whole underpinning of like, what, what is, what's going on under the hood? Like, what, what are the thoughts that are happening between the ears? And nobody ever takes the time to assess those things. When, in my opinion, I'm like that, that's the only thing that matters until that's taken care of. Like, great, I can give you the best macro plan in the world. I can give you the best training program in the world. It doesn't mean anything if you can't follow it. Yeah. And so once I started talking about that with other coaches, they were like, you should really do some kind of a course or certification or something to help other coaches. So it just kind of came from, from popular demand and um, have had over 300 or so coaches go through my program to, to understand our methodology. How
1: many? 300.
2: Yeah. I think we're close to 350.
1: That's this great. Yeah. That's awesome. What's a, what's a moment in your life where, you know, kind of that critical, critical moment, right. Fork in the road where obviously you made the decision that you did, which has you where you are today, but had you not would be in a very different place. I think a lot of people are in those moments. I think we probably, we all have multiple major critical moments in our life that we look back on. Um, but there's always strength and power and hearing others and how they decided in those moments. Is there one or two you could share?
2: Yeah, definitely. Uh, the one that comes to mind is right before I started my business, I was working as a nutrition coach for another company. Uh, I was, that was like my dream when I, yeah. when I decided I was personal trainer, I knew that the nutrition side was more of my passion. I'm like I'm going to figure out a way to make this my career. Uh, I got hired by a company, worked my way up. I was like one of their head coaches you know, making a six-figure salary, working from home. I had everything that I wanted. And at that time in my life, um, I was married at the time. And the, I really, there was, you know, from, from the naked eye, it all seemed fine until yeah. it wasn't. The company that I was working for was going in a direction that I fundamentally and morally disagreed with. Their, their whole approach, their whole business model, everything they were doing and it was one of those things that kind of, you know, because surface level, I'm like, what, what do I have to complain about? I'm doing what I want to do. I'm making good money. I'm, yeah. I have locational freedom. Um, I should just be grateful, right? Yeah, right. And it's one of those things that just kind of keeps eating at you internally. Yeah, You're totally, like, Man, totally. there's something here that's just not right. <laughs> it just doesn't feel right. And I would voice my concerns a little bit, and when that would kind of get shut down pretty quickly, and it got to the a point where I was like, I have to do something. So I had a, a friend of mine who became a mentor of mine, uh, Jason Phillips. And um, he was like, why don't you offer to do something like, you know, you don't want to just walk away and pull the carpet out from under them. It's like, I've been there. It's, it's not the right thing to do. Like, why don't you offer an opportunity where you can still do things your way, but they can still benefit from it. And we came up with this whole idea, this whole plan and I was like, the owner is never going to go for it. But yeah, he was very receptive. Yeah. Okay. Gave him the whole thing. And he's like, yeah, that actually sounds great. And I was like, man, I can't believe that. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, at the time I was, I moved across the country from outside of Philadelphia to Southern California with my then wife. Um, things weren't going so well in our marriage. Uh, we decided to separate. Uh, so I went back across the country to the East coast then my grandfather passed away. And then I got a phone call maybe two weeks later from the owner that was like, Hey, I love your idea. I'm going to run with it on my own. I'm going to cut you out and I don't have to pay your salary. And, uh, <laughs> he took everything that I came up with and just he impl-
1: flat out told you that too,
2: literally on the phone. I'll never forget that phone call. I met like, wow. my heart sunk in my stomach. I can still feel that exact feeling and I was just standing in my apartment in my kitchen and I was like, just defeated. Yeah. Yeah. I had no course. I had no, nothing I could possibly do about it. It's just other than I'm like, all right, I have to just put my tail between my legs and, and take it. Like, what, what can I do here? So it was at that moment where I was like, I guess I'm going to go find another company to work for. The other part of the story that that's kind of messed up is I actually owned a small percentage of that company. I owned like two and a half percent of that. company.
1: Oh, really? Okay.
2: So I was like, so what are you going to do? You're going to buy me out. And he was like, no, I'm just going to cut you out. And I was like, that's, I was like, that's illegal. And his exact <laughs> words were then fucking sue me. And, wow. and I was like, Shh. so now I have to go through. The, was this apartment. guy a friend of yours? He was the owner of the company. He was, was he
1: a friend? Like, I,
2: guys... uh, no, I mean, we, I mean, not we, really. we had been working, I mean, obviously not, you know, I mean, um, yeah. He, he's like um full-blown narcissist. So it was, it was tough dynamic there working yeah. um, and had had a track record. Uh, but I always like, we always got along just fine. I didn't think there would ever be any issues like that. Um, yeah. so he, he tells me to sue him and I'm going through the process in my head of, all right, like what's the company actually worth? How much yeah. am I paying legal fees? Is it worth it to go through this whole thing? Um, and then and what am I going to do? Am I just going to go start working for somebody else? And, it was at that point where, uh, where my friend Jason, he was like, no, it's, it's go time. Like you're doing your own thing and you're doing it your way. And like, you're going to win by yeah. like, shitting on everything that you're going to be way more successful than they ever were. Um, yeah. And right. That was, that was the path. That was the turning point. Um, I started my, my company and haven't, I haven't looked back.
1: Yeah. I, you know, and you didn't sue, right? I didn't sue. No. Yeah. I mean, just think of the energy and the, wavelength that would have consumed for you to trying to move forward. So I think you made the, the right call, obviously. And it's easy to look back after you've seen what you've created to know that you did. But in that moment, I'm sure it was a tough one, right?
2: It was. And it, and it was, he made
1: know, it a little easier for you, but kind of making the decision for you, but
2: yeah. Right? Yeah. It's tough when you, when you lose the security blanket, no more paycheck yeah. coming in. Um, you know, I had, and again, it was like, what, what else can I do it was back against the wall. And I remember probably for the first year of my business, it was driven by anger and spite, which is not a good place to be. But that was the mindset. It was like, I'm going to I'm just going to win because, you know, just watch like you. You did this to me. We'll see what happens. Yeah. Uh, And I I really in order for my business to truly take the next step, I had to forgive. I had to get over it. Um, I had to put all of that aside and recognize that it was the best thing that anybody's ever done for me. Yeah. And really come from a place of like, I, I feel, I feel bad for somebody who feels the need to, to act that way. Uh, yeah. And so it was more of like, I kind of pity you at this point and um and I'm also really grateful that you were able to do that so that I could have this opportunity over here.
1: Have you ever crossed paths with that guy since?
2: Uh, no, no, I've not yeah. talked, I've not That's spoken. Since. Yeah.
1: What, to, as we start to wrap this up, if there's one or two things that the listeners, you could give the listeners that if they were to implement today would help them move their life forward today, would that be?
2: Yeah, um, I, I'd always, I always look at when we're talking about how do you, how do you improve your situation? How do you get better? How do you, you know, whatever you're trying to accomplish, um, everybody has different goals. You could be trying to make more money. You could be trying to improve your, your physical well being. Uh, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. I think we get caught up in, in two things that often hold us back. Um, number one is we try to defeat time. Number two, we try to defeat randomness. And what I mean by that is time and randomness are, are two opponents that are undefeated, meaning time has always passed. If, yeah. it's not, if it's not passing, then then you're in a bad situation. Right. Um, and random things have always occurred, uh, you know. There's never a predictable future. Mm-hmm. Randomness will always happen. So when we're trying to set things up to be successful, oftentimes what we do is we put time and randomness against us, but they've never lost. So it's, a, it's, a, it's not a very intelligent strategy because if you set arbitrary deadlines and you need everything to go right in order to be successful, you're battling randomness and you're battling time. Uh, so yeah. we often bound our success by... Uh, time limitations. And what I think is if you can expand that time horizon and just know that it's okay, whatever that it's okay to set a goal, but know that the actual shortcut is the process itself. So if I can expand my time horizon and I know, like I mentioned a million lives, which is an arbitrary number and, and you know, for all intents and purposes, it's pretty arbitrary. If I know the process and I say, I don't care if it takes me the rest of my life, that's then I'm inevitably going to be successful because I'm not facing, I'm not battling against time. I'm not saying I have to influence a million lives by next year. Yeah. In which case, everything has to go perfectly right in order right. for that to happen. Well, now I leave no room for randomness to occur. So expect that uncertain shit is going to happen, random things are going to happen, and expand your time horizon. If you can do that, if you can put yourself in a position where, if you're if you're trying to make more money, what are the action steps that you can take that will lead to more money, but expand the time horizon of what that looks like? Don't just put an arbitrary number on it, an arbitrary deadline on it, uh, because that often leads to frustration and doing things where you're always trying to be perfect. Uh, yes. I would say like a, a plan that requires you to be at your best every single day is a terrible plan uh, because you're just not going to be. It's just life. A plan that allows you to operate at your average. And progress. That's a good plan. And then the days that you have a little bit more to give. That's just you know the icing on the cake. Yeah. Um, so I would say try to expand the time horizon and try to account for the randomness that's going to occur. We want time and randomness on our side. We don't want to face you know face them because they are undefeated. Um,
1: I love it. Yeah, I love that. I, that's actually been something that I've been thinking a lot about lately and talking about with some some uh, actually kind of talked along similar lines today and a a call just had a few hours ago with some clients. So uh, funny how some of that stuff seems to pop up uh, when it's present for you. So uh, I appreciate everything that you uh, are all about, man, and the impact you're making. What are some ways that the clients, uh, audience listeners can, can find more about you and your programs and what you're up to.
2: Yeah, for sure. I appreciate it. Uh, So first place is uh, on my podcast, which is mind over macros. It's on any, any podcast platform that you listen to. And then you can connect with me on Instagram. Um, Most active on there. Probably it's uh, at coach underscore Mike underscore Milner. And uh, yeah, those are, those are probably the two easiest places to connect.
1: And how long you been doing the podcast
2: podcast has been about, I guess it'll be four years in January. So it's about a little over three years. Awesome man, yeah. yeah, that's great. How often do
1: you episode a week or a couple of two?
2: Uh, two, yeah, two episodes a week. Um, they're usually solo episodes, although sometimes I'll bring guests on. Uh, if you know, it depends. It kind of goes in in waves. But uh, I've I've noticed that the guest episodes don't typically do as well as when I just like rant and go off on a on yeah. a topic. Um, but it's been cool because you know being able to connect with people and bring on like right. You know, subject experts and hear perspectives from from other people. Um, I really started the podcast as kind of my own form of therapy, and I didn't expect anything to come of it. And it's just kind of taken on a life of its own. So it's been cool to see.
1: I love it, man. Well, I appreciate you being here today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me.